Okay, so welcome to episode number one, the inaugural um, uh, episode of Recovery Life. And uh, I have Mike here, who we will introduce in a second, but let me just say this on the front end, and that is that Recovery Life does not represent or have a, a monopoly or speak for any sort of recovery program out there. We're just sharing our experience, strength, and hope here and hope that others can recover from whatever they're suffering from. And uh, here I have Mike with me. Say hello, Mike. Hi, how you doing? Do you want me to address it to you or yeah, just, no, in just, just in Hi, general? Hi, everyone. How you doing? Yeah. Um, and so my name is John M. Uh, we have Mike here, and we're going to maintain our anonymity on the podcast. But uh, we're hoping this can go out uh, to the throngs of folks throughout the world. So, Mike, I have come. I came across Mike uh, uh, in uh, our meeting here in uh, Frisco, Texas, and I've really enjoyed listening to him talk. And I thought it'd be great to come in and just do a little bit of an interview on his life in recovery. So, Mike, uh, first of all. What I want to start with is I know where you live now, and you live in where? You can tell the audience. Yeah, I live in uh, a suburb of Mumbai, India. Mumbai, India. Yeah. We're here in Frisco, Texas talking yeah. today, and I met you in a meeting just recently. <laughs> so how did you yeah. get from Mum? So how did you get, uh, I guess a couple things, how did you get from uh, uh, to Mumbai from the United States, and then what brought you back here? I know the circumstances, yeah. but maybe you can explain it. Well, my dad's elderly, so that brought me back temporarily from Mumbai to uh, Frisco. He lives, he and his wife live close to here, so I came back to be with him uh, in some of the final stages of life, and obviously going to meetings has import, been an important part of my recovery. So I ran into you there, and you were crazy enough to say, hey, <laughs> come on over to my house. <laughs> you got to record something, so it may be the one and only. <laughs> this may be our last episode, yeah, right? The first and the last, yeah. <laughs> I doubt that. So, how did you get over to Mumbai? I know how you. I know yeah. you came back from here, but what? Yeah. what you know what made? How did you make the trek from uh, uh, from here over to Mumbai? And let me go ahead and start with this. Just ask you another quick question first, and that is, you have been in Alcoholics Anonymous for how long? Thirty-one years. Thirty-one years. This month, yeah. And so, your sobriety date is uh, December twelfth of eighty-six. December twelfth of eighty-six. So that'll be. 31 years this month. That's fantastic. Um, so I know that there was a lot of things I'm sure that happened between 31 years ago and today, but let's just start a little bit with, uh, uh, we'll start at the, uh, on the, <laughs> we'll start with how you got over to Mumbai because that's very interesting to me. Oh, um, I, during the course of my, uh, recovery, um, when we get to steps 11 and 12, we seek through, 11 is seeking through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact and finding out what our real purpose is. And then in 12, doing that and trying not to screw up most of the day. And my career was in sales, but along the way, yoga and meditation became an important part. And... In the course of that, uh, in 2009, I went over to India for a month to holy cities. People from America go to India for two reasons. One, to see the tourist traps, uh, Taj Mahal, the Delhi market, uh, the marketplace in Delhi, or um, Bollywood in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. um, I went to the, see the holy cities, and I came back, and my meditation practice increased a lot since then. In 2016, I was seeing someone. Uh, I had a good Facebook friend, and she and I, I'd started helping out some orphanages in southern India. Um, for $100 a month, you can pay rent for a two-bedroom flat for 25 orphans and a few adults. <laughs> and that, And how I met them was pretty amazing, and so I started doing that. And then the, a uh, woman got connected with it too over, through Facebook over in India. And so March of 2016, I went over for a week and really liked it and moved over there in April 
came back and went over. I just retired. I was 63 and a half. And I said, the heck with it. My career had pretty well peaked and wasn't headed anywhere. So I moved over there in March of 20, April of 2016 and been there off and on since then. Um, I live in a real nice little town of 300,000. I'm, the, I'm uh, the only white guy in the town. And people are very friendly and loving and kind. And everybody wants to do a selfie and meet you and ask where you're from. They're um, amazingly friendly and loving over there. That's great. I have the greatest neighbors on the planet. They uh, Last time I came back over to India... It was a school night, work night, and they're all working families in their 30s. It was kids. They stayed up till midnight to welcome me back. They made me dinner. They gave me sheets and towels for the uh, apartment, flat they call them, apartment I'm in. And next day took me shopping and made me breakfast. And I've just never had neighbors like that. So it just blew me away. Um, And... The AA over there is pretty cool. Uh, the town I live in, we have two meetings a week. We have a big book study Tuesday nights, and Friday nights we have open discussion. And generally people just share their stories. Now, most yeah. of the meeting is either in Hindi or Marathi. Marathi there's tw- 29 states in India, each having its own language. And then there's also Hindi. Marathi, Mumbai is in Maharashtra state kind of like here in Dallas area, we're in Texas. And so they speak Marathi, and also they'll speak Hindi, and a few will speak English. Now, they study English in schools. They test in English, British English. So, but typically, they've been out of school a long time. So they understand what I'm trying to say. And after you've been in AA a while, you know, I've been in 31 years, you kind of know what people are talking about just from their facial expression, and <laughs> hand expression. I mean, you hear the story is the same but different. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of know what's going on. And, uh, and I'm the only American they've ever had come over there. So I represent Bill and Bob to them. You know, I'm the direct lineage. Uh, they go, oh, Mr. Bob, Mr. Bill, oh, Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob, sir. Oh, how is Dr. Bob? Did you meet Dr. Bob? I go, no, I've been in a while, but not quite that long. So, you know, they, uh, so they love to hear stories about AA in America and the stories of our founders, of our uh, co-founders of our wonderful uh, philosophy. So, yeah, so I've been over there off and on for two years. I came back because my dad is close to passing, so I wanted to spend some time with him. And then John said, hey, I want you to come talk. I said, well, I'm headed back to Florida, where I lived before I went over. And uh, so he said, get over here today. Right. So You're going tomorrow morning, right? Tomorrow morning back to Florida. Yeah. All right. Well, so. take me back to the beginning of your story. That's <laughs> obviously the, the more yeah. recent, which I wanted to start with because I'm yeah. very interested in it. Yeah. But take me back to the beginning. You know, you've been in and out of recovery, for, or you've been in recovery for yeah. 31 years now. What what prompt, you know, what, yeah, this is a very common question in AA, yeah. but you know, what got you in <laughs> to Alcoholics Anonymous? Obviously, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. Right. Um, I was 34 when I got to AA. Uh, I was raised by a middle-class, upper-middle-class family. Um, In what city? Oh, all over the country. You know, my dad was transferred. It was corporate America, and we were in the 60s, the I've been moved, you know, IBM theory. (laughs) And so we moved all over the country, and, uh, you know, it was, it had pluses and minuses. Um, My dad was a a spare-the-rod, spoil-the-child type mindset, which was popular in that era. And, you know, I kind of was accomplished coming out of high school, got to college, and it was uh, 1970, and everybody was partying their brains out and uh, with all kinds of alcohol and all kinds of uh, drugs. Uh, Psychedelics were a biggie at that point in time, and I did my share. And I graduated in 75, and... I'd done well in school, and then, uh, and you know, I was on athletic scholarship, so you know, it wasn't what kind of a, athletic scholarship? Oh, swimming. Yeah, swimming. Yeah, and all swimmers I know are party animals. So. I knew a lot of swimmers in high school. See? I know exactly yeah, what yeah, you yeah. mean. And uh, so <clears throat> then I started uh, work in uh, New York City in a big bank for four years. 
partied my brains out there, and there really weren't any dire consequences. And then I moved to the Dallas area because my folks had, li had moved here. And uh, in the late 70s, and I moved here in 1980 and got into sales, which means I could drink, I could work, and I was good at accomplishing work pretty fast, and then uh, I could go drink. And I started getting into a lot of trouble. And I started making money, and I got into a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, they say the, the theory is that you... The, so I was doing well selling and making some money, but I went through one marriage. I got married again. I was about to go through another marriage. I had a couple DUIs. And more importantly, I just... I thought I was going nuts. Um, I was coming apart. I had a lot of anxiety attacks. I mean, I had all the toys you would want in life. I had, my wife and I had a beautiful home. We had rental properties. We had a boat on the lake up here at Lake Louisville. Mm -hmm. We had sports cars. You know, we were living the American dream, and I was miserable. And everybody said, that's not normal, man. <laughs> and I said, yeah, really? I said, you know... I, they said, you live in a great place. You got a great wife. You know, what is your problem? And I said, I don't know. And I would just drink and drink and drink. And weed was a big part of my story, too. And finally, uh, my therapist fired me one day. I was in seeing a therapist mainly to fix my wife. I thought, <laughs> if I take her and she will leave me alone about my drinking, then everything will be fine. Right. And I was a Can't bar... Can't they understand? Yeah. I mean, really. And I was a bar drinker. I didn't drink at home. My wife would drink... A, a, she wouldn't even finish a drink. I mean, you know, like, it would just kill me. <laughs> and uh, so I was a bar drinker, and I'd be out several nights a week, you know, three, four, five nights a week, just blowing money. And my therapist fired me one day, and... Uh, We'd been seeing him for about five months, and he just one day said, stop. He says, you're driving me crazy, and you, like, stay in my head for several days. Mm -hmm. And I'm a therapist, and I'm trained to release someone as soon as they leave the office. Mm -hmm. But you're so nuts that you just stay in my head, and I can't take it, <laughs> and I'm firing you. It's kind of like the movie What About Bob? Yeah. And yeah. I said, well, who will I go see? He goes, oh, no. I'm not sending you to another therapist. <laughs> I go, what the hell am I going to do? And he goes, maybe AA could help. <sighs> AA, what? You know, all right, fine. So we went home, and the normal routine was for me to pick a fight. We would go eat after therapy. I would pick a fight so I could go out and drink and hey, leave yeah. my wife at home. Mm -hmm. Well, she didn't want to go to dinner. We went home, and she locked the bedroom door. And she came out, and she goes, get out. Now, I've been fired by my therapist, now by my wife. Mm. So I go down to the crummy motel down the street and check in, and I call my drinking buddy. And we didn't have cell phones. It was 86. And uh, I said, uh, my wife threw me out. My therapist threw me out. They think I'm an alcoholic. And he goes, you are. <laughs> now, this is my best drinking buddy. You think I'm an alcoholic? You drink more than I do. You're, you're in, your life's a bigger mess than mine. He goes, Oh, I know I'm an alcoholic, but you are too. <laughs> so I found a, uh, I looked in the phone book and found an AA meeting the next day that had a bar right next door. And I was going to go to a six o'clock meeting and then go to the bar next door. And they had happy hour from seven to seven thirty. So I could drink fast, mm -hmm. get my two for ones and tell all my buddies how to drink and drive. Cause mm -hmm. that's what AA was to me was how do you <laughs> drink and drive properly? Right. Defensive, you know, like <laughs> the, the stuff you go to after you get a DUI or right. DWI. Right. And uh, I went in and uh, they said, is your first meeting? I said, yeah. And they said, well, have a seat. And they gave me a free cup of coffee. And I thought that was cool. <laughs> and everybody told a little of their story. And they were all telling my story. They were talking about DUIs or DWIs, depending on where you live. And... They were talking about failed marriages, and they were talking about anxiety and depression enough to want to kill themselves and anger enough to want to kill somebody else. And mm -hmm. I identified with everybody, and mm -hmm. I didn't know any of these people. Mm -hmm. And I knew they weren't going to get a toaster for signing me up. You know, it wasn't like a, a church thing, like, 
hey, I signed him up. You know, what do I win? You know? Right, like Amway or yeah, something, yeah. multi-level marketing. And then when they passed the basket, they said, oh, you don't even have to give today. And I thought, well, <laughs> this is really great. <laughs> Free. You know, and so I went to, and at the meetings, you know, my wife wasn't there, so that was good. And the bills were starting to come due, and there are no creditors there, and the cops weren't in the room, and... And, uh, and my boss wasn't there, you know, giving me a hard time for, you know, yeah. screwing off. So I went to a lot of meetings early on. I just felt safe. You know, early on, my first few weeks, I still had the shakes. I didn't go to treatment. And uh, they told me to eat a lot of chocolate. And I couldn't sleep. I would sleep two hours a night. That was all I'd been sleeping for a couple years. Right. And they said, well, get the big book. It's the best sleeping pill on the planet. Yeah. And at night, you won't be able to finish two pages. And I would read two pages, fall asleep for two hours, get up and make tea. And I had my honey bear on the on the uh, stovetop. Yeah. And I would squeeze the honey in and then drink the tea with the honey. And the shakes would go away a little bit. And I'd read two more pages and fall asleep. And that's how I learned to sleep. So, uh, you know, I, I went to meetings uh, several a day. I was a sales rep, and I could mm-hmm. pull it off. Mm-hmm. I knew how to <clears throat> get around the system. Right. And uh, there was a big guy at the Saturday meeting. I got sober in Bedford area, Mid-Cities area, mm-hmm. Dallas area. And there was this big guy, Rex, and he wore this cranberry red uh, sweatsuit, Adidas sweatsuit. Yeah. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. And he was a big guy with about 6'3", 250, big bushy eyebrows and yeah. big mustache. Did he and wear a members-only jacket as well? <laughs> not at that point, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. And, and he, he had this deep voice that would just carry across the room. Now, it was still smoking meetings. We had a non-smoking room. And we, the meeting would end, and he would walk towards me and go, Did you get a sponsor? <laughs> And the whole room would then look, and i go, no, I don't have one yet. And he goes, oh, you'll never make it. <laughs> and I thought, what an asshole. I mean, I hate this guy. <laughs> and it wasn't hard for me to hate anything. I, when I came in, if I thought about anything for two minutes, I hated it. Mm-hmm. And I, if I, I wouldn't know you, but I would hate you almost. Uh, just anger and hatred was a major part of my story when I walked in. Mm-hmm. It was part of why I... I I knew how much booze and drugs to take to quell the anger, to slow my mind down, to slow my emotions down. What happened at the end is I couldn't get loaded. No matter mm-hmm. how much I drank or mm-hmm. anything I used, I couldn't get high. Right. I was just a mess. It just quit working. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after six weeks of this of Rex harassing me, I knew... I saw him coming towards me one Saturday, and I looked across the table, and there's a guy who looked a little like Paul Newman, and I like Paul Newman movies. Yeah. So I asked the guy to be my sponsor, and he said, yeah. And so Rex got to me and said, did you get a sponsor? I go, yeah, it's him over there. I didn't even know the guy's name. <laughs> and he goes, he's a good man. Use him. <laughs> of course, I didn't. You know, there's two parts to the sponsor. There's the getting the sponsor, mm-hmm. and then there's use. the using the sponsor. Exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, now I was not drinking, and my impression, I identified, I got a big book right away. I read it. I identified with Bill's story. He was a stockbroker, a salesman, essentially, a real bullshitter. Mm-hmm. I'm a salesman, a real bullshitter, high energy, high energy. Mm-hmm. I related to Bill 100, and I thought I was going to be a captain of industry right. and all the other you know, horse shit that he was... I just totally identify. I love the book. I didn't read, you know, four pages. I, I read it cover to cover. Well, the first 164 pages. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so my impression was if you're not drinking, then you're recovered mm-hmm. early on. And uh, But I was still getting into a lot of mischief. I was still leading the same life, but I just wasn't drinking right. outside of bars. So. Yeah. Finally, I call this guy up. His name is Vic. And, and uh, I said, man, my marriage is a mess. My work's a mess. My money's a mess. My health had improved a little bit. And he said, good, thanks for calling. Call me again tomorrow. And he hung up. 
<laughs> and I thought, well, what the hell good is this sponsor stuff, you know? So, but, you know, the next day I called and I go, you know, you really hurt my feelings yesterday. And, you know, I really didn't like the way. And he goes, I don't care. I really don't care. <laughs> and he goes, I said, well, what do you mean you don't care? And he goes, you're, I'm the sponsor. You're the sponsee. Right. Thanks for calling. You did good. Call me again tomorrow. And right. hung up again. Now I'm furious, you know, like, you, you, this guy's blow. I'm thinking he's, you know, retarded or something. So I call him again the next day. He goes, good, I want you to do five things every day. Pray in the morning, God, keep me sober. End of the day, God, thanks for keeping me sober. And in between those, read a page or two or the big book or the 12 and 12. Go to a meeting and call me. Mm-hmm. That's a good day. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, but my money sucks. And he goes, that'll take care of itself. <laughs> but my marriage is even worse. And he goes, that'll take care of itself. And I said, and I'm crazy. He goes, well, that we may not have an answer <laughs> right. for that. More be revealed. <laughs> Just do those things every day. And I said, yeah, but I'm in trouble at work and everything else. He goes, that all takes care of itself. And I go, this is crap. This AA is nonsense. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, I, I had to, he had asked me, are you willing to go to any length? And I'd said yes. So I started doing it. So I called him the next day and I said, look, I don't believe in God. And he says, so what else is new? You know, and I thought this would be like some great revelation that I was the only one to ever come into AA that didn't, didn't believe, in, believe God. in God. And he goes, well, do you believe I believe in God? And I said, yeah, I listened to you at the meetings and I see that you've got some kind of strange connection. And he goes, good, you can borrow mine till you get your own. Mm-hmm. And that sounded pretty funny to me. So I said, okay. And uh, so I did that. He said, just fake it till you make it. Just do this stuff. Mm-hmm. He said, because in, in our outside life, in our material world, which is very linear. If you want to build a bicep, you go to the gym and do curls. It's very linear. Mm-hmm. But the spiritual world is spiral. You keep revisiting the same issues, mm-hmm. relational, work, money, health, mm-hmm. relational. And we see our progress by how I'm responding mm-hmm. the next time the same thing rolls around. Made absolutely no sense, but it sounded cool. So, you know, I started doing the things and I was... We worked through the steps. Uh, the funniest was when we sat down. He explained the first three. He says, one is, you don't drink right. I said, what do you mean I don't drink right? He goes, most people have one, maybe two drinks. How's that sound to you? I said, awful. <laughs> Sounds like a waste of time. Right. I'm not even warmed up. You right. know, My throat isn't even stretched yet. And he goes, see, that's not drinking right. <laughs> okay, you got me there. And he said, and your life's a mess. I said, what do you mean my life's a mess? And he goes, How's your money? I said, bad. How's your career? Bad. How's your marriage? Bad. How's your health? Well, it's getting a little better. He goes, see, those are the biggies in life, and you're not doing doing worth a damn at it. I said, okay, so I don't run my life right. And he goes, you know why? I said, no. He says, because you're crazy. Because you think, again, doing drugs and alcohol will make you okay. That you'll get, that even though your life's a mess, and you're putting something that's poison into your body, that doing it again and again, you're going to get better results. That's mm-hmm. insanity. Right. And he said, we're going to restore you to some degree of sanity. That's step two. Mm-hmm. And step three is, because you're not running it right and you're nuts, how about letting somebody else do it? Yeah. And he said, that's step three. I said, oh, okay. Nobody explained that to me. And he says, that's why you need sponsorship. The meetings... Our reprieve, the recovery is in the steps. So talk about that a little bit. Sponsorship. What does it yeah. mean to you? Um, yeah. uh, how has it affected you in your life? What What do we all need to know about sponsorship? Well, <laughs> as an American guy and as a Texan, we're supposed to have all the answers mm-hmm. in life. So turning to somebody else for help is weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, from my point of view at the right. time. However, I was an athlete, and I always had coaches. Mm-hmm. Top athletes always have pro, pro football teams. Mm-hmm. They all have coaches. So look at it as a coach. Or if you want to learn a new language or play the guitar, you have a mentor or a teacher. Mm-hmm. You can look at them from that point of view. 
It's just somebody who's been a little further down the road and they're willing to help you out. Right. And once I was able to start going to people, um, for then I was able to start going into other areas of my life with other people as my mentors. Mm-hmm. My business career, my sponsor had a similar business career, but uh, we were both in uh, areas of sales. But then I was able to go to other people and say, hey, I'm having this problem. Help me see from a different perspective. Right. And everybody's really willing to yeah. when you sit down. So no matter what area of your life, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, career, relational, there's somebody there that can help. Mm-hmm. So that was what it was. And it's someone to work the steps with. But for me, it was a lot more. Um, <clears throat> I see a tendency now for people to want to just use their sponsor, do a fifth step with, and then right. throw them out the door. Right. Um, and, or, you know, get somebody with longer-term sobriety and say, oh, that guy's my sponsor, right. and then never call. <laughs> I was in a meeting, and a guy in the same meeting talked about doing his fifth step with me, and we'd, we'd never even met. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm 65 now. Maybe I'm, you know, slipping. <laughs> you know? Anyway, for me, it was a lot more. We talked several times a week, and we would work through, and other people got to be involved in the, his sponsor in the process of my recovery. Because I realized they were there not to give me a home. I always viewed uh, senior people to me as somebody to correct me, put me down, things mm-hmm. like that. Right. I began to see it as these guys wanted to help me. They right. wanted to help. Um, coming in, I always saw my drinking buddies as my friends. And I thought, what will I do without my friends? Mm, right. And they said, okay. What's going to fill that vacuum? Yeah. Well, exactly. How they explained it is an acquaintance is someone you have something in common with, mm. like drinking, mm-hmm. or you watch football. Mm-hmm. These guys were my acquaintances, my drinking acquaintances. Friends want your life to go well. Mm-hmm. My drinking buddies couldn't care less if my life went well or not. Mm. They just wanted a drinking buddy. Mm. <laughs> and it, it wasn't they were out to screw my life over. Okay. They just, they wanted to drink. I wanted to drink. We drank together. Mm-hmm. And the problem was we would make stupid decisions drunk and reinforce it with another guy drunk. Oh, I'm going to cut off work tomorrow. Or, ah, oh, my wife's a pain. I don't need a wife, you know. And crazy stuff like, oh, you know, hey, uh, tomorrow uh, there's three days left of Mardi Gras. We can drive eight hours to New Orleans. <laughs> right. Let's do it, man. And hop in the car and, you know, you sober up at 5 a.m. And you're like, where am I? And you're, oh, we're in Baton Rouge, you know, an hour away. And insanity. So friendship is people who want good for you. They want your life to work out well. They want to help give you. They will listen to when things aren't going well. But Mm -hmm. they'll also, you can count on them for sage advice when you come to them for advice. They're not going to tell, they're not just going to stroke you and say, oh yeah, that's great, man. That's great. They'll say, that's a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. Because I realize I have a lot of crazy ideas and some of them are good, some of them are crazy. And mine, a lot of times, I can't figure out which is crazy or which is sane. Right. So I run it by some. If somebody else were to come to me and lay it on me, I'd go, that's a crazy idea. But when I think it up, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm willing to run with it. So my first year and a half, I was angry. I'd work through the steps. Uh, I was actually working through them a second time. And my sponsor said, pray to have the anger lifted. And finally, at a could year and a half... You, just out of curiosity, yeah. could you pinpoint the anger at that time? Was it directed at something, or was it just kind of a, a floating type of Yeah, uh, anything. Anger? Yeah, Any, just I woke up and pissed off. Right. Yeah, just pissed off all day. Uh, it would ease up like at meetings, but mm-hmm. then once I walked out, within a few minutes, it was back. Right. So your sponsor said, pray to have it lifted. Yeah. Yeah, and I, he'd said a lot of other crazy stuff, so I thought, okay. And so I did, and nothing changed, but he said, just keep doing it, keep doing it. He said, 
We burn our emotions when we drink. And now we're getting to a point where they're just starting to come out. Mm -hmm. And so the anger is just coming out. It'll come out for a while. And I said, yeah, but I worked the steps. And all these other people said their anger went away. And he goes, that ain't your story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like Bill and Bob in a way. You know, Bill, like he was relieved of the desire to drink almost immediately. And Bob, as you know, uh, you know, struggled with it for quite some time. Two and a half years, yeah. Right. And so, like you said, it ain't your story. And that'll work for you on down the line. Now, at about six months sober, in fact, I was so pissed off one day. I thought I, I was uh, a swimmer through college, and so I thought I'd just go down to the Arlington Y and swim. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'd get rid of some of the anger. And in the middle of the workout, I've done the workout hundreds of times. It was a regular workout. All of a sudden, it was like the movie Cocoon. It was like the light changed in the pool. Mm-hmm. And I stopped swimming in the middle of the lane, and... I thought everybody was having this epiphany with me. <laughs> now, there was a guy swimming right behind me. He ran into me and said, get out of the way, asshole. So I knew he wasn't having the same experience. <laughs> so I go to the end of the pool, and it, the best way I can describe it, and it was so drastic from anything I'd ever known my whole life, I knew everything had always been okay, was okay, and would be okay. okay. Now, my mind is racing. Nothing was okay. My money wasn't okay. My marriage wasn't okay. My career wasn't okay. My health was all right. My mood was awful on a good day. But I just knew for like 10 or 15 minutes, everything was okay. And then my mind took back over and, you know, with all my problems and woes and and the emotions then kicked in off of those thoughts. And so I went home and I talked to my wife and told her what happened. She said, well, you're crazy. And I said, well, I know that. That's step two. I already know I'm nuts. So, And she couldn't relate. So I called my sponsor and he said, you had your first spiritual awakening. Yeah. And it was a drastic one. Mm-hmm. What do you think? And I said, well, this is the bomb. This is what I wanted drinking right. and drugging. Right. And, uh, and he said, uh, well, keep doing what you're doing. And they'll come more often and for longer stretches. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they continue to come. They're not as drastic because that one was the anger eased up mm-hmm. after a year and a half. And then I became suicidally depressed. I mean, every other day I was thinking about suicide. In fact, I met a girl at a meeting one day, and she said, "What do you, she, I asked her, what are you doing? She goes, I'm thinking about killing myself. And I said, me too. She goes, let's go get some ice cream. And so we went to get ice cream. <laughs> And so I said, well, how do you want to do it? And she, I said, how about a gun? Neither of us had a gun. And uh, she goes, no, that's, that's too messy. And I said, well, then hanging. And she goes, no, I, I, you know, I, don't, want to, I don't want rope burn when people see me in the, I, you know, I just in the casket. Say, um, I am laughing, right? <laughs> and I know it's a very serious subject, right? But and you know, a lot of people struggle with these yeah, thoughts, but I know yeah. you're sitting here in front of me, so yeah. you obviously passed that. Yeah. So there is some humor yeah, in it, yeah. but I, you know, I, I yeah. understand it's a very So then it got down to, okay, and then stabbing was out because that right. was bloody. Yeah. And then it got down to pills, and we couldn't figure out which ones to take. And then the sugar from the ice cream kicked in, and she just stood up, and I said, well, where are you going? She goes, oh, I'm going back to work. I feel better now. <laughs> and then we just went back to work. And there was an old uh, circuit speaker <laughs> Jim Williams, who passed away yeah. probably 15 years ago from Fort Worth, and yeah. I love the guy, and he used to say, you know, 11.30 in the morning, you're riding around in your car wondering who you're going to kill or whether to kill yourself, and you look at your watch and go, hey, it's time to go to the noon meeting. <laughs> and you walk in the meeting, and everybody goes, hey, Mike, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm fine. Doing good. good. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, so that's why I need meetings. You know, it's I walk in, and... The weight of the world's on my shoulders, and you know it seems like it's all over. And so, let me go back real quick yeah. to that. You in the pool, yeah. That fifteen minutes or yeah. so to where you were having that epiphany, yeah. Right, uh, a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, More of the burning bush compared to what I hear other people describe. Right, not bragging about it, just oh, in comparison, it was a biggie. And people struggle with that. What I hear in meetings yeah. all the time is, you know, why didn't I get that? Why can't I? And people talk yeah. about Bill Wilson having that bright light experience, yeah. you know, seeing that light at the end of the tunnel type yeah. of a thing. Yeah, when Abby um, said, you know, 
pick a God of your own understanding and right. the light changed in the room. Right. Yeah. So not everybody gets that epiphany, right? right? Yeah. And theirs is more of a educational variety, yeah. if you will. Yeah, the but, appendix two. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I, I want to touch on that. So yeah. you said that you had that epiphany, but it sounds like most of your experience, though, has been of the educational variety. Would I be correct? Right. Well, they began to other periods of less anger, mm -hmm. less depression later. Um, a sense of it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. Somehow it's going to work out. Um, and, you know, my first year, I came in with all the toys. And by the end of my first year, all the toys were gone. gone. And in fact, when I came in, all I wanted to do was get rid of the wife. And I wanted to keep the boat and the house <laughs> and everything and the sports cars and the rental properties. Right. By the end of the first year, I had the wife. And I didn't have, we had one lousy rental property. We had no boat, no sports cars. <laughs> and I lost the job. And I'm delivering pizzas for Domino's. Now, nothing wrong with that, but it was a far cry. Well, it, there was wrong with that because we lost our house. So I'm back in my old neighborhood delivering pizzas for Domino's. And when you lose your house, you go out in the middle of the night with a rented truck. You don't have a big party, you know, like when you're moving cross country and there's no... <laughs> celebratory party you just slide out and one day you're gone it's like and the cleveland browns moving to baltimore in the bingo. middle of the night yeah <laughs> yeah an art model special yes. yeah so you know so i'm back in my old neighborhood driving a beater car and i got the stupid domino's triangle and the stupid ball cap uh, and running up to their door going hi and they go oh mike Oh, my God, what happened to you, man? Oh, here, here's an extra dollar, fella. Good luck to you. Uh -huh. And, you know, this is in recovery. This right. is not. <laughs> so I, that's partly why I was angry is everything went away. Right. So at, when I got my. Where's the good life yeah. I hear about? Oh, and all these other people. Oh, I won the lottery. I married my perfect partner. <laughs> right. And we're moving, you know, to Manhattan. And, you know, we just bought an island. And, you know, this other horse shit. And. And I'm just there going, I hate you, I hate you. Because <laughs> for me, a successful life was still what I was after, even in recovery. Right. I wanted the stuff. Peace of mind was way off in the distance at that point. <laughs> you know, and well, it was funny because it was right around the holidays when I got sober. And I would come into meetings and people would go, oh, I'm just so grateful to be sober. Mm. And the next person would go, I'm even more grateful than that person. <laughs> and the next one would go, I'm more grateful than the most grateful that person's ever known. And all I wanted to do was one of two things, either stick a spoon down my throat and vomit on the table, or I wanted to punch him in the head. Because it just, you know, and so I talked to my sponsor and he said, you know what, most of them are lying. They lie, we lie when we get there and we lie once we get into AA. You know, tell them your your life sucks, but then say, I hope it's going to get better. <laughs> Experience, strength, and hope. Don't just go, it sucks, I want to kill myself, thanks for calling me. <laughs> That's not a good share. <laughs> so, now, when we got to the uh, fifth step, he said, uh, uh, it was I was about five or six months. We did the first three right away. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of said, run for a while with that. And life was still going a little haywire, and he goes, okay, it's time for you to go do a four-step. He'd always give me enough rope to kind of hang myself, right. you know, like a dog leash, get out there, and then he, the zapper, <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and zap me back in. So when I did it, it was time to do it. And every sponsor and every sponsee has their own routine. So when we sat down to do it, he says, uh, wait, he says, uh, well, I'm ready to start. And he goes, no, let me do the sponsor's prayer. I said, sponsor's prayer? Now, you know, we all have this delusion that I'm once I do my fifth step, mm -hmm. I'm ready to sponsor and go on tour and be a circuit speaker <laughs> right. and, you know, and everything like that. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, I want to be a sponsor someday. What's a sponsor's prayer? And he goes, God, please let this one be different. <laughs> and I said, what the hell does that mean? And he goes, it's all the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he told me a couple things about him, which were way worse than anything I'd done. Right. Now I wanted to lie to him about my fifth step. Yeah. So it would be because I wanted to have the best fifth step ever. Right, right, right. 
So then uh, we talked, uh, we did it, it went well, and uh, he said, okay, what's the one thing you didn't tell me? And I said, how'd you know there was something I didn't tell you? And he goes, I told you, it's all the same stuff. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. And I told him that thing, and he goes, okay, good job. And we talked a little about six and seven, character defects, and, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and went home and, you know, kind of went from there. Later down the road, I heard... Uh, a couple guys at the home group had gone and done their night steps with former wives and girlfriends mm. and gotten them to sleep with them. And I thought, that sounds great. So I wanted to do that with, <laughs> with some of my exes. And he got wind of that. And he said, well, I guess it's time to do eight and nine, but here's how it's going to go. And he goes, who are the people on your list in step eight? And I said, well, it's, it was pretty much everybody on four. And he yeah. said, okay, here are the key people. These are the ones that you need to do, otherwise you'll get drunk. Right. He says, the reason you do these is, is so you can walk around and not have to figure out what lie you told or who you have to hide from. Now you can walk, be a man amongst men, and walk around. And he said, here's what you say. You say, hi, I'm now in recovery and my recovery is contingent upon my making amends. So I want to apologize and work towards changing my behavior. So I was a lousy son. I was a lousy husband. I was a lousy employee. Leave it at that. Don't go into detail. <clears throat> they don't want to know that you slept you, you just slept with your wife's sister, <laughs> and now you've gotten it off your chest, and you feel totally relieved. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want to throw her under the bus, okay? So, and now I'm a salesman, and I like to come out looking good. Nothing about what I was doing made me look good. And you also can't go, well, you were a lousy father, and da-da-da-da-da, therefore I was a lousy son. Right. You don't do their inventory. Right. This is not for them. This is for you. Now, this totally sucked to me. <laughs> I wasn't going to get anything from any former girlfriends or wives, and you know and where's just, the upside yeah where's the upside and you know what am i getting out of this and he goes you're getting peace of mind which didn't seem like much right. <laughs> it didn't seem worth the trade-off where's but, the sizzle yeah, in this yeah, thing right? yeah. <laughs> yeah so but you know he says okay and then in 10 you do that on a regular basis and he said the beauty of it is is see the first 10 steps free you up so that your mind and emotions can start to quiet down. So in 11, you can pray and meditate. Get peace of mind to know a greater knowledge of God, of your understanding, and also what your purpose on life is here. Because see, we're spiritual beings having human experiences. So what's your spiritual gift? What's the thing you're bringing to the world, your unique gift that you're bringing to the world that you can share with others. And he said, and it isn't necessarily something you're going to get paid to do. In fact, if you're not, that's an even better way. You do service with them. Right. And then in 12, you do that. Mm-hmm. That's the steps. You clean, The first 10 are just cleaning everything up so that you can know your spiritual purpose, a connection with God, and then you go tell people, you know, I used to be a bad drunk, and now I have this connection with something I don't really understand. But I don't need to drink, and I got some peace of mind, and and my life seems to be kind of working out. That's so, right. um, yeah. So, so let me, so let me, uh, let me ask you this, okay? <laughs> I, I want to know, okay? There's a lot of people, as you know, throughout the years, we've yeah. both seen it, that come in and out of the program, <laughs> right? Yeah. What is important, like if you were to kind of sum up, I don't know if you could put this into bullet points, one, two, three yeah. points, but you think about what's important, what's the takeaway, what do we need to know in order to have a successful recovery <laughs> and have long-term sobriety, if you will? Um, you know, I people have asked me, I've got 31 years, uh, There were I was at a big group, of 36 of us that got sober plus or minus a couple months of me there's only two of us still alive mm-hmm. so the numbers aren't good uh, the latest i've heard is three percent of alcoholics will die sober mm-hmm. which is very sobering thought mm-hmm. um 
there are people that know the books much better than I do. There are people who've gone to more meetings mm -hmm. than I do. There are people who've shown more earnestness in the program. Um, it's kind of like you hear. I think it's the five things. It's in in the in the physical world, we're taught get your shit together and life will work out. Yeah. Get your mind together. In AA, we're taught. The footwork leads to right thinking. Right, right action leads to right thinking. Right. Luckily, having been a fairly disciplined guy and an athlete, discipline was an important part. And I was always willing to do the discipline. Maybe that's it. Right. You know, to do the stuff that was required. Much like it says in the, uh, what is it? That's the, uh, at the end of the uh, 11th step, that we are undisciplined yeah. Yeah. and we let God discipline us right. in the way that was just yeah. outlined. Uh, for those who may be listening at home, that's page, I believe, 88 in the big book, if I'm not mistaken. See, he's he knows it better. No, it doesn't mean <laughs> I'm, I'm more qualified yeah. or it doesn't mean I'm. Uh, so, one of the funniest was, just as a funny aside, Everyone worries about being a good sponsor or sponsoring. When I was about nine months sober, this guy asked me to be a sponsor. And I said, hop in the car, and we ride around, and I'm full of a lot of AA hot air. And I'm quoting all the slogans on the wall and blah, 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 blah. And finally, after about two hours, that guy goes, that's it. I've had it. And when he says, pull in at 7-Eleven, we pull in, and I'm sitting there. He goes in and gets a six-pack. And he comes out, he unscrews the top of a miller, <laughs> chugs it down, and gives me the finger. <laughs> and, and it was back in the time of when cell phones were like tank phones in your yeah, car yeah, right. and had the spiral cord right. that got caught in your steering wheel. Yeah. And I call up Vic and I go, Vic, I let AA down. And he goes, you're not that important. <laughs> And he goes, but you sound good. You sound better than you sound in a while. Go back to the group. Find it. He wasn't ready. Go back. Find another one and see if you can keep him sober till midnight. He goes, look, he just wasn't ready. So don't worry about being yeah. the perfect sponsor. Yeah. You know, don't worry about screwing up. There's no right way or wrong way. If somebody drinks, it's because they were meant to drink. Right. It's not your responsibility. Ours it isn't is even just... yours to, to keep them sober. If mm -hmm. they stay sober, it isn't even my, me doing it. You know, it's just. I'm there as a voice, as a channel, as a vehicle for doing that. Well, listen, uh, you know, I didn't know, as being episode number one here yeah. on Recovery Life, yeah. I had no idea where this interview was going to go, yeah. um, but I... Uh, I, I I couldn't be more pleased. I, I am so uh, I'm just so I'm so happy. He hasn't eaten today, so yeah. it's, it's kicking yeah. in. But here's a couple of things that people don't realize. When I got here, I thought life. I was 34. Life is over. There's going to be no more fun. It's just going to meetings with a bunch of old guys, swapping drunk stories, right. saying how grateful I am to be sober, and then going home. And doing nothing mm -hmm. every day. The reality is, is a couple years sober, um, I got back in a new athletic career and I competed at a national level in triathlons for 17 years. Mm -hmm. I started a business a year and a half sober that was very, very successful. Mm -hmm. um, I got to move to California, which it was always a dream. I got to move to Florida. Now I live in India where I help out there and bring the message there. So the things just God has or a higher power, whatever you're comfortable with, has a whole plan for you that you don't have a clue what's going to unfold. But it's going to be amazing. All you've got to do is follow the few things that your sponsor tells you. But I think the key thing is getting a sponsor and using them. Because right. the meetings are very general and you'll hear things on any side of the street. And the book is good, but when you have somebody interpret it, like any holy, like if you view it like any holy book, and you have somebody there explaining it to you from a different perspective. And my sponsor always gave me a different perspective on what was going on in my life. I would say, I see this going on, and he would go, really? Well, how about if it's like this? And I'd go, wow, I never thought of that. And I never would have thought of that. I needed somebody to bring me over to a different point of view. 
And after 31 years, I still have two or three people that we contact each other. We all have over 30 years, and we each know each other and our goods and bads, and we run stuff by each other because I still know that my mind can take me. I I mean, when I moved to India, I had to go to everybody and go, I'm thinking of moving to India. (laughs) You know? Now, you got to let me know when it came time, right, right you know, to leave Florida and move to India. I mean, my dad goes, Indiana? I go, no, India. And he goes, you mean like Indians running around? Like, you know, savages with the boiling pot? And I said, well, it's not really like that, Dad. But, you know, so I had to go to my peeps and say, India, you know, like, tell me if this is too crazy because I'm thinking of retiring and moving there. And they're going, anybody else but you? We think it was nuts, but because I'm into yoga and meditation and going to holy cities, and right. I mean, that's something. It was 15 years before I started meditating. 15 years sober. Now I teach yoga and meditation. I'm a white guy from America teaching Indians <laughs> Indian yoga and meditation, and they're lining up to do it. Now, how, how crazy is that? So <laughs> if you want life to make sense... It ain't going to. Right, right. You know? I mean, to our minds, it isn't. But something about it, you'll go, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. But if you try to figure too much of what's going on, you're not going to, it just is going to elude you. But you got to enjoy the journey. Now, on the other side of the coin, I had a divorce. That was very painful, very painful year and a half. I've had melanoma. I was told I was going to die three times from cancer. Mm-hmm. That's pretty intense. <laughs> I've had near bankruptcy. You know, I've had uh, two other relationships that didn't work out. So I've had tough things too. But I didn't need to drink. I didn't need to drug. And I didn't go totally crazy. And all my sponsor would ever say, you're going to hate this one, is I would say, God, this is going on. It's just awful. And he would say, so were you loving and kind to everyone around you? And I go, of course not. <laughs> I, was, I, I treated them the way I felt. And he goes, Try harder tomorrow, Mike. <laughs> and you just get to a place where there isn't any good days or bad days. There are just days. And that sounds boring, but it's amazingly peaceful. So anyway, thank you, John. Well, that has been fantastic. <laughs> it couldn't have worked out any better. He's giving uh, me the cutthroat side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want enough, to go, enough. I don't want to go too long on the first one. But we'll come back and do a part two when you come back again. <laughs> I'd love um, to. So uh, I just thought of this during the, uh, while we're saying this, just let's go ahead and end this with the serenity prayer, all right? All right. We'll do it together, you me bet. and you. God, God grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. Amen. That's right. Amen. Uh, peace out, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye now.